This is the Million Dollar Rap Shop Podcast. This is the Million Dollar Rap Shop Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brent Tatum. And with me, as always, I have my wife, Tabitha. Hey. And uh, today we have a very special episode planned. We have a very special guest. But before we go into that, Tabitha, let's recap the last episode. Yeah, so last time we spoke about design and the design process in the rap industry and the rap shop itself. If that sounds interesting to you, check out our last million dollar rap shop podcast titled Rap Design and the Importance of the Design Process, part one featuring Trenton Wells. Yeah, so thanks for that. And yeah. So this week we we have a very special guest. Um, he's someone I wanted to put on the podcast for a long time now, um, and actually originally reached out to me and was like, "Hey, you know, we got to do a podcast." Yeah. And, and so so grateful for uh, for the Dan Antonelli. Dan Antonelli is going to be joining us today. Yeah. Um, and all of his expertise and his wisdom and his knowledge. And, you know, what he brings to the table is just huge. Um, most of you who listen to the podcast probably know who he is. But if you He's don't certainly know... certainly a household name in our home. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and if you don't know who Dan is, um, Dan Antonelli is the owner of Kick Charge Creative, who is a branding agency. Um, and there, you will see... If you search truck wrap on Google, you will see probably 15 or more of his truck wrap designs that he does, among other things that they offer. And um, he also has books out. Uh, We have one with us here. It's called Building a Small Business Brand, Building a Big Small Business Brand. And then he just released another book uh, entitled Branded Not Blanded. And so make sure you pick that up. And, um, you know, if you have any questions about how to reach him or how to not reach him, but how to get a book from him or, you know, whatever, just feel free to, um, to message us about that. Or Dan, <laughs> or Dan I'm himself. sure he'll have his information on the podcast information. But, um, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Yes. And thanks uh, for having me guys. And so, uh, you know, I want to kind of get into a little bit about Dan. Um, so how many years have you been designing and how did you get into the design and rap industry? Sure. Well, I, I came in essentially through sign painting. So I was very young when I first started hand lettering. I actually started out pinstriping first, and then I got into lettering afterwards. I would say probably 15 or so is when I hand lettered my first home service truck. And then I was fortunate to get a job at a sign company when I was, I think, 16 or 17. And I just want, I mean, I, I knocked on every sign company door in Staten Island. That's where I, I grew up. You may hear a little bit of my New York accent here. <laughs> Not at um, all. And every one of them <laughs> kind of laughed at my portfolio and 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 kindly told me to just get out of the, the shop. And it was a very closed world. Like that world was very closed. They didn't really want newcomers and they didn't want to share their secrets and things like that. Yeah. And so I was really kind of disheartened that I couldn't work with somebody and I wound up seeing an ad for a job for a sign painter, which was really obscure and, and weird. 
And um, I went to the shop and this gentleman had just opened up. His name was Bert Arthur. And um, I would have just swept this, the, the floors. Like I, I didn't care. I just wanted to be around it. And I wasn't a great hand letterer at that particular point, but I knew how to hold a brush. I knew how to do some basic casuals and things like that. And and he hired me and, and I got really blessed and, and him and I still keep in touch to this day, which is really just amazing. Um, and I just learned so much from watching him and just that experience of getting to see your work in the in the in the wild, so to speak. I think we all share that passion, right? You do that yeah. truck and that truck drives by and you're kind of stoked that you did that particular job. Um, and and you know, when I when I was graduating high school, you know, obviously it became time to decide if I was gonna go to college or what I was gonna do there. And and my folks had thought it would be better for me to go to college. Um, and, and so I did, and I studied communications and advertising while I was there, while still actually hand lettering and doing side jobs and, and things like that. And then um, graduated, I worked in New York City as a graphic designer for five years, and then I started the business while I was there as kind of a side hustle. And I worked in the basement and um, you know just, just really hustled a lot to build it to the point where I could really walk away from my day job and and start this company and and not miss a beat so to speak so it was a it was a fun journey and and certainly it still is uh fun to do what we do here every day yeah and so so, um you know we were talking earlier tell us a little bit about you know uh what you did in college and how that kind of helped you uh your business now and how you've carried what you, what you learned back then. Um, cause I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know that about you. So can you explain yeah, that a little bit? Sure. Absolutely. So I went to the university of Scranton, which is not really a design school per se. It's not a design school at all, yeah. <laughs> which is like, well, why'd you go there? Um, so, but I, I wound up interning, um, with, their publications office and worked under an amazing art director. And, and essentially, I, I feel like I got four years of art school crammed into six months of a pretty intense internship where, again, I just wouldn't leave. Like I was only supposed to go there a couple hours a day and literally like every second I could possibly be there, I was there because I, I wanted to absorb everything that they could teach me. And so I, I basically got my graphic design degree from her, which is she's an amazing art director that I worked with. And then when I graduated, um, a lot of the lessons that I, I took from that experience and, and even the classroom experience as far as the relationship of branding and consumer psychology, consumer behavior, um, and a lot of those lessons are what I really kind of honed in in over the years. So learning more about creating brands that speak to that target demographic um, I think became really, really more important, certainly as time went on. I think in the beginning, I probably like a lot of new designers or newer designers were more interested in having somebody like yourself say, dude, that that rap is, is awesome or that design kicks ass. And I was throwing all sorts of probably I'm going to just say the word crap. Oh, it's <laughs> not the nicest word, but throwing a lot of stuff into every design. Yeah. And, and while it was cool in terms of being eye candy and it wasn't maybe necessarily actually connecting with that ideal target demographic. And so certainly I shifted a lot over the years to be more focused on the fact that like, it's not that I don't care what other designers think of my work, but that's not really my objective. My objective is what is Mrs. Jones 
think of this brand and this this truck that she sees on her neighbor's driveway? What does that signal to her? And how does it how does that affect her impression of that company? And and more so, how does it affect the marketing for that company in terms of um, will it be something that she remembers when she needs service? So, you know, the the education and the degree um, was very useful for me because it not only taught me I think how to how to think better, but it also taught me how to communicate and write better. And and you know, like very early on, I was writing for Signcraft magazine, yeah. and then I wrote the first two logo books through Signcraft magazine, and then the book that you have there, I did about ten or twelve years ago, mm-hmm. and then the the most recent book that I just did. But I, I think all all that experience and and that foundation was very instrumental for me personally um, to get to where we are today. Yeah, I, I remember, um, you know, being in my dad's shop, you know, in the late 90s, um, early 2000s and seeing, you know, you in, in the magazines and seeing how even back then, how different your your logo creation was versus what everyone else was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it caught my eye, you know, and evidently it caught a lot of other people's eyes as well. Um, so that's. I think that's that was really cool for me to be able to, you know, see you back then as a young kid. And I was, you know, I was that young kid in the sign shop like you were, you know, when you were in high school or coming out of high school. And I was looking at your stuff and and going, wow, that's really awesome. Like, I want to be like this guy someday, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because um, in in the sign industry back then and even even almost now, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, I don't want to say mentorship, but you know, you always want someone you can like look up to and someone you can, you can aspire to kind of be like and identify with, because like you said earlier, you know, it is such a closed off industry or it was, you know, back then. Um, I think it was really refreshing to see that as a young kid and really inspiring as well, you know? Yeah. I, I have a question though, Dan. Um, you said you started doing that at 15. Was there anything that started um, that the fuel, that desire, that passion that you had that got you to actually go there and do that to begin with? Yeah. I, I mean, I probably credit a lot of a lot of it with my brother who was really always into hot rods. So my brother would get like hot rod magazine and they'd have cars that were lettered or drag cars in there or pinstriping. And I would, I was more interested in the art on the trucks or on not really the trucks on the cars at that point than I was about the car. Like, I, I mean, the cars were cool, but I, I was more, Oh, look at that cool lettering they did on the side. <laughs> yeah. of look at that airbrushing. So when he actually got his first car, so he was a few years older than me. He was uh, four years older than me. So I was probably, I think, again, like 14 or 15 when he got his first car and he wanted me to do, do some pinstriping on it. So, so you know, for Christmas, believe it or not, like this is this just kind of blows my mind. But for Christmas, I literally, my dad got me a can of one shot and you guys probably know what one shot is. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And a pinstriping brush. And then there was this book, Freehand Pinstriping by Dick Bird. It was a guy's name. And, um, you know, that was my start. And wow. But I was like one of those weird kids from high school that like my friends were like going out after school. And I was like, nah, I, I got to go home and work on some alphabets. And they're like, what? <laughs> 
Yeah. What do you work on some <laughs> alphabets? I'm like, I had a, I had a, a trunk from a Dodge Charger that I would, I would do my alphabets on, and then I would paint over it, and then I would do my alphabets again and paint over it, and, and so like I was obsessed really with the craft and 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 the art of the craft. Yeah. Um, and again, like just I wanted to be so much around it, and there wasn't a lot to look up to. But you know, Signcraft, you know, was a, certainly a magazine that I always aspired to be in and this the first sign shop I worked in that was the goal is like anything that left the shop should be at the standard that it should be able to be in that magazine and that really kind of always yeah. stuck with me that that was the goal is to be of signcraft quality um, and I think we I've really kind of carried that through is is you know I'd like to think that pretty much everything that walks out the door here is worthy of being featured in a, in a magazine or something like that. Yeah. That's a hard benchmark to kind of live up to, for sure. <laughs> but, but, but that the lessons that I learned from that experience, I think also have, have helped a lot, you know, in terms of what we've been able to do. Yeah. I, I wonder if, and you know, you can respond or not, but I, I wonder if you coming up, you know, when you did at the time that you did, you know, how different your life would look if it, if it weren't, you know, because right now there's not a lot of like hand lettering and pinstriping. And so, you know, I'm sure something would have caught your eye with design either way. But, you know, you you always look at somebody and you're like, you were definitely born in the right era. And, you know, <laughs> to shape your company now, like that, I think that was that was so perfect. Um, and I, I, go ahead. I remember um, because you talked about pinstriping. I remember when Brent and I, we first got married. This was 18 years ago. Um when we first got married, he used to pinstripe all the time. So like he was working at with his aunt at the time yep, and at, a sign shop. at a sign shop and they would get people that come in and they would say like, Hey, can you pinstripe or can you paint? I have this motorcycle. And there was no wrapping available at that time. It was, I mean, they had one of the first Gerber yeah. printers, yeah. but you couldn't wrap something so intricate like that. So he would get those and he would do those on the side in our garage and I would die from the fumes <laughs> because it would smell so horrible. And, and he, and I would hope so badly that he would, um, that the paint would not react because he would work so hard on something. And then all of a sudden, sometimes the paint would react, something would happen and then it's all cracked and yeah. you have to sand it down and start all over again. Um, yeah. So. That is so funny. That story actually, because I remember in college, I had all my airbrushing stuff in my dorm room <laughs> and and i would do airbrushing in the little you know it was a 10 by 12 room with a roommate and i'd be spraying one shot like in the room so the room would just be like a cloud, a cloud yeah. and and then when you go to clear out the airbrush you know i'd be spraying s straight turpentine like yeah. directly through it and like i don't you know so uh, <laughs> hey, what, it didn't kill me but i mean it's crazy to think about now yeah it worked though because one time i got in a little a little accident and um in a Mustang that Brent had and he fixed it. He got some paint from an auto body shop. He spray painted it, cleared it and everything in our dirty garage. Cause we didn't have like, it was, we first got married, we were renting this place yeah. and, uh, gosh, that was an ordeal. Yeah. But it um. was great. It looked great. <laughs> um, but on, up on, on the side note, I have a question for you. What's the most random thing that you ever pinstriped? Um, I would say, um, my mother's washing machine. Nice. And, and, um, I did it in, I, you know, cause I, I dated it. I did it in 93 
And unfortunately, my, my mom passed away about five years ago, but when we were selling her house, she still had it. Oh, so awesome. at, at that point, it was like 20 something years old um, about. And um, it was just really cool just seeing the, you know, it wasn't that good, but it was okay. It was like a full, like I, it was on the top. So it was a front, a top loader. So yeah. the whole front, like. <laughs> nice. So that's was it probably like one, of the, one of the most random things. And she kept it and like it's, it's still in decent shape, a little scratched here and there. But like she never got a new washing machine, which is bizarre. I mean, it was a dry. I forget which uh, one it was, but it was pretty crazy. That's yeah. awesome. I remember when we got a uh, – when we were in that same house. Um, so that that era was like 2003, four somewhere in there. 2005. And um, that's when like, you know – all the that's when the chopper industry was like really like growing super big and was super popular and so that's that's how i kind of got started into like pinstriping and airbrushing but i remember we got a riding lawnmower and i the first thing i did was pinstriped it and tabitha's like what the heck are you doing (laughs) (laughs) he had to get it like on the side just nice and perfect yeah but um so i want to uh kind of go into uh you know a little bit more so you you've been in the industry for for a long time as we've been talking about what um what are some of the changes that you've seen and what is some of the things that you guys have had to do to kind of stay on top of your game in the industry well you know again for us because we don't we're only focused on design we had to really figure out a way in which we can monetize that and obviously stay afloat right so when i basically gave up vinyl and that was probably back in 2007 um, I really had to make sure that we had enough design work to make that that transition. And and for me personally, like I I recognized fairly early on in my career, especially when it came to doing uh, lettering or even wraps. And at that point, we probably wasn't doing too many wraps, but even just cut lettering. Um, for me, like I I love doing one side of a truck. And then uh-huh. I hated doing anything else beyond that. Like I would get so bored. Um, and yeah. also you recognize too, like you start looking at numbers. And I think that that's a really, really important thing for people to understand is to really know your numbers and to understand where the potential lies. It's like when you look at your revenue streams and you you figure out, okay, well, we did this amount in actual freestanding signs versus this amount in actual wrap design or wrap wrap printing, how much money did we make from each of those endeavors and what's the profit lines look like? And so you start looking at numbers like that and and you can make better decisions when you know those numbers, when you understand those numbers. And so we sort of thought early on that the more things that we can offer outside of just the physicality of, of physical signs or lettering and things like that, um, we could do more for that customer and we could also have higher average tickets and actually have less clients to manage. So it's not like, you know, 10 clients buying, you know, $200 worth of stuff. I'd rather do one client buying $2,000 worth of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier just to manage when the average tickets increase. Um, And so we really thought and focused on the idea of being more of a single source company that you can get your design work from <clears throat> as well as get your printing from and mainly printing not not wrap printing but like business cards letterheads brochures trifolds 
Um, and then, of course, we started selling web design around that time and doing more of those services. So it was scary at first for me to sort of get rid of the plotter and get rid of the printer and, and say, hey, we're not even going to do this anymore. And even for a time being, I almost wanted to not have people know that we could do wrap design because I felt like, like, well, I'm trying to be like an ad agency. And if they see that I do truck wraps, it's going to sort of devalue us and make people. So it was really kind of interesting because in the beginning, I feel like I actually ran away from it and I almost mm -hmm. didn't want people to know that we could do that. It's like, they're like, can you do truck wraps? I'm like, well, we do branding and then, yeah, we can do the truck wraps. But it, it wasn't like the forefront of what we were actually trying to market. And then I just realized that so many of our leads were coming in because people actually wanted the truck wrap design, which is fine. But we were we took the position that we're not going to design your truck wrap unless we do your branding. And, yeah. and so that really lays the foundation for being able to do all those other things. Because then once you've designed a logo, then I could, I can do, again, your business cards. I can do your uniform. I can do stationery. I can design site signs, billboards, you know, whatever. So um, the idea of really focusing on average tickets and increasing the average tickets. And that's why I say to a lot of rap companies, because a lot of rap companies want, want to try to emulate some of the things that we do. And I say, you really need to bundle your services. Um, and most, mm -hmm. for most um, sign company owners, like they're not really thinking in that in that realm. They're thinking, I'm just going to sell this piece of this one piece of what they ask for. So they come in and they say, well, I need a sign, or I want to get my truck wrap, and they do need that. Of course, they need that. But once you have them invested in you and in, in working on their branding, there's so many other things that are so easy to bundle that it's almost blows my mind that more people aren't doing it. Like, okay, well, what about 25 site signs? What about a thousand business cards? Um, how about we design your, your uniforms for your guys? Um, and, and, and a lot of that stuff isn't like it requires a high level of expertise in terms of, it's not like designing a trifold brochure where you do need to know a little bit more about graphic design in order to execute that properly. But like, why aren't more shops just coming in and having a package and we, and you name these packages and then you sell them at different price points and you make it more economical for them to buy those packages from you um, at, at a discount because they're ordering more, but it's much right. easier for you to, for you guys to manage doing that. So we sell so many packages, the packages that we sell, like our, our average ticket for every client is probably close to $20,000 um, with us. So that would be logo, um, wrap design, um, uniform design. We sell a lot of taglines, um, mm -hmm. site signs, like stuff like that. So, so our average tickets have, have continually grown over the years, but also I think, again, the value of what we provide has, has grown with it. So yeah, because, you know, your portfolio is growing with every project and, you know, it's easier for you to prove that your branding does have value and you yeah. can add you can add a lot of value to a company that's looking for that. I have a question. Yeah, um, because we're, we always and the Million Dollar Rap Shop podcast, we always talk about building, sustaining and growing. So at that time, whenever um, you actually decided to get rid of the plotters, did you get rid of a part of your team as well? Or did you decide at that time, like, were you subcontracting? Were you, did you have a team, even whenever you started going into the wraps um, and you started actually offering those as they you were getting requested, um, were you subcontracting those out or were you actually having your team just um, focus on, on doing that and having installers in place for that? 
Yeah, I would say at that point, because in 2007 is, is essentially when we moved, I moved out of my basement actually mm -hmm. into an office. Um, and when I was working out of the house, I was the one primarily responsible for doing lettering. So I had so many of these, I would call them legacy clients that I had done their first truck like 10 years ago, and they would still continue to call me. And I did all my all my installs on site. So I would cut all the, the lettering at the house and then go out to do it. So I was personally doing all, all, all of that work. But I realized basically, again, it's more about knowing the numbers that every time I left the office, like I was losing money. I could be billing so much more for just doing regular design work um, that it didn't make sense for us to offer that. And it was a little scary to say to all those customers, I can't really help you like anymore, you know, and I wound up work, yeah. you know, hooking up with a local company here. Um, like we had the account to do all the police cars here, which we had done, believe it or not, I had done all the police cars in our township for the, like the last 17 years. And they were like the last of the legacy clients yeah. and he, he would do them and then bill us. And, and, you know, that's how we did the work, but, um, it was a little scary at first, but then you realize again, you know, you have to know the numbers, like even for us, um, basically a year and a half ago, we got rid of web design as a line of business for us. And it, it was more about knowing the numbers of that line of business and knowing that we couldn't be profitable in that line of business to make that decision. So mm -hmm. there's so much effort focused on just the general task of being a better designer, running a better shop. But the financial part is so important because you may, if you're making decisions without knowing the numbers, then you're just, it's just a crapshoot. You're really not truly understanding yeah. the best direction for the shop to take. I honestly think that's where a lot of, a lot of people live is, you know, we come into business as either a designer or a rapper or, you know, someone who just does lettering that was working for a sign shop. You know, you don't see many people coming into the industry as a business savvy person that, you know, hires out someone to do all the design and mm -hmm. the wrapping. You know, it's a lot of our industry um, and what we do is is birthed out of passion because mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's, right. it's an art form. We were artists and that's even rappers now are considered like an artist, even the, the rappers that do like the color change films, because you, you're, you're, you're taking something and you're changing it and it becomes art then. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people get into the business because of passion and yeah. then the business stuff kind of falls away until, you know, years down the road when they're trying to figure out what the heck went wrong it's and why necessity, why the business is suffering. And then you're having to backtrack and, and play catch up with yeah. your business knowledge. I mean, and, that's, and and to that point, Brent, I mean, I'll, I'll say like when it was probably in 99 and I was only at that point two and a half years into full time, again, still working out of the house, <clears throat> but I was always more of the mindset when I first started, like, hey, as long as I'm doing what I love, that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> and then my wife was Sounds pregnant <laughs> and and she was a school teacher. She actually couldn't work because she got really sick during the pregnancy. And then we wanted to be, her to be able to actually stay home after the, the we actually wound up having twins. Uh, we wanted her to be able to stay home after. And then suddenly the mindset shifts because it's not like, oh, you know, la-di-da, like as long as I'm doing truck lettering, like who cares? Like, and it was more like, yeah. like, you know what? No, this is actually a business first. 
and it's a passion project second. And I need to figure out a way to monetize that passion and focus on the business end of things. And I think, again, that was that was kind of a shift for me early on to look at this um, and look at the business of design as opposed to just, you know, again, being focused on doing cool stuff and being in magazines and stuff like all that stuff is great. But like, I got to figure out how to actually make a good living from doing this. Yeah. Um, And that's that's how it was when, you know, early on for us, you know, before we had kids, when you know, like we were talking earlier, you know, you would work till one, two o'clock in the morning, uh, sometimes even later on weekends. And then Mm -hmm. you're coming in super early as well. But, you know, when you're, when you're first starting and you're young and you don't have kids, you don't have a lot of responsibility. It's not a, it's not a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're, you're doing what you're doing, what you love. So, you know, the saying is if you do what you love, you, you never really work. Well, that, that kind of runs out, you know, whenever you have when to. When you got to pay the bills. When you got to yeah. pay the bills. <laughs> and then when you also have kids now that you have to spend time with and you want to grow a family and you want to do these things, you know, my my mindset over the years has changed a lot. And I'm at the point now where if I'm working till one, two o'clock in the morning, I know I'm not making any money. Um, mm-hmm. if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm out on site and I'm having to do a lot of wrapping myself, I'm not making any money because I'm not actually running the business and and leading the business right. and where it should go and mm-hmm. and so you know your passion and, yeah. your passion's good to 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 fuel you as you start out but you 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 eventually have to grow up grow up you need mature. to mature and yeah. that yeah. in order to sustain your business out there you have to grow up yeah. you cannot if if it's a hobby and you really love it and you want to continue doing it in all honesty and all fairness for the people that are out there watching it, you have to grow up and mature and realize that in order for me to sustain this and so that it can be not only my passion, my desire, but also to actually help me to still do the things that I want to do throughout my life because you have more life to live and there's other things that you want to do with your life. And if, and you've got to be able to pay for it somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Kudos to you that you realize that early on. and, And also just realizing too, like, well, what's, what's the exit plan? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, you know, like what is this business worth without me? And if, and if it, the business can't run without you, it's essentially worthless. I mean, yeah, I, I hate to say it like that, but it's no one's going to buy a business that doesn't function without you. Right. So you certainly over here, I've focused so hard on. I mean, we have twenty three people here now, and um, I, you know, this place functions. I hate to say it, probably better without me. Like it's it's. <laughs> they, I have an amazing leadership team here. And, and they kill it. And, and, you know, the brand people, like I have five full-time brand illustrators on staff, brand designers on staff. We have five graphic designers, like these guys, you know, they all kill it. And, and so you really have to understand too, that if you're trying to build something and secure a future for yourself, unless you build it to the point where it can function without you, it's, it's, it's sadly not going to be worth anything um, in the future. You've created a, a a job for yourself and not a, a company, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, it, it, well you talked about <laughs> legacy earlier, yeah. and you know, ultimately, if you're trying to build a legacy, it's got to be able to be sustained after 
you're gone. Exactly. Um, whether you exit and you sell it, you give it up, you know, to your family, whatever that is. But I had another question for you. Um, seeing that some people again are watching and they're in the building phase and sustaining, there's different areas. Um, and feel free, whatever you don't want to answer, you don't have to, we can digress to another way of, uh, communicating. Um, but my question to you is whenever you decided to kind of put your eggs in one basket, so to speak, in the sense that you had, instead of having a lot of clients, you had fewer clients, but you were, like you said, you were getting more ticket items off of those clients. Did you decide to do, did you do like a contract with them or anything like a lot of branding agencies do? Or did you just decide, okay, I'm just gonna provide them such good stellar service, customer service and satisfaction that they won't wanna go anywhere else? Um, we, I mean, we have contracts for every single client that signs on for us, um, but we, we're not locking you in to use us forever moving forward. Um, so we certainly do, a, I think, a great job of providing amazing customer service. We have a great account team here. Um, and I think our biggest challenge has been that our timelines are sometimes not, not, um, what the client wants. So like they, they call us on a Friday and they want a billboard for next Wednesday and we're booked out three weeks or four weeks yeah. to get it done. So our, our biggest challenge in terms of growth has been more manpower centric. Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't, you know, listen, you own the artwork, like anything you buy from us, you own it. We don't hold it. Like you hear a lot of people like, oh, well, I created this wrap and I'm not giving them the files and things like that. Th that's more a structural issue in terms of how you sold the job. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you should be very clear up front with what the deliverables are. And I found to me, the more I can enumerate to the client what it is that those deliverables are. So if you buy a logo from us, you're going to get all the AI files, the EPS, a brand guide. You're going to get all the files you would ever need to reproduce it with anyone else in the future. Now, all of a sudden, yeah. I'm disarming them. I'm making them feel like. Okay, well, he's not going to hold me hostage with his files or send me send me like a lame JPEG that I can't use for you know what I mean? Like I, I yeah, yeah. stop do that. Like they do that because oh, they know. haven't they haven't sold it properly in the beginning, and then they're aggravated later on. Just sell it properly in the beginning. It's like the same mindset of guys saying that the wrap design is free. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. well, again, if it's free, then essentially it's worthless. That's yeah. that's the message. That is the actual message of what you tell that customer. Oh, the wrap design is free. And I think okay. that's probably one of the things that you probably helped Brent out the most with, with whether you realized it or not, was that, that when he first started, um, people here had a problem um, paying for artwork. They, they yeah. did not well, want to pay for artwork and you you would do like a artwork fee but people would balk at like how dare you tell me that you're that i have to pay for artwork which mm -hmm. you know again it's changed and that's that's transformed and maybe because so many things are social like um digital media driven but um that's one thing that that brent really changed in years ago was yeah. that he realized that his time and his effort were well spent and needed to be accounted for Mm -hmm. I think, and I think that's, that's why a lot of smaller shops, you know, they don't have a problem with saying, okay, it's, you know, artwork's free because one, they, they don't put value on what they do because right. they don't spend a lot of time doing it. So if you're, if you're offering free design services, you're probably not giving your client their be the best right. that you right. can give them because 
there's there's no skin in it for you, right? You're right. just you're doing right. it for free, and you think, oh, it's you know thirty minute design, and throw it out there, and it's not costing you anything. So you're like, okay, it's free. But on the Whereas, flip side, whenever you're the when you are the designer and the owner, then sometimes if you really really love doing that, you'll take that and you'll absorb that cost. Um, or and you'll what I'm saying is like I've seen people where they take two to three days to design something really awesome. And that's the only thing that they worked on. And then next thing you know, they actually don't have anything. Uh, there's no monetary value there. They didn't value their self and their time right, right. for that actual item. Yeah. Right. And, and, and they and, and think, I, absorb it because they think that, oh, well, it's just only affecting me. Right. But it, it affects your whole entire business. And when you go to hire someone else um, for those people who are building your business um, in, the, in that phase of building your business, when you hire someone else, now you don't know how much time should that job take? How much time should that artwork take? And right. um, and am I paying them enough? And am I collecting enough up front that I could pay and sustain that person's salary? Yeah, I mean, if I had a, if I had a graphic designer that I hired and I didn't charge anything for graphic design, you know, we just gave it all away. I think it would really, it, it would be a hit to the person because they're just like, wow, he doesn't, you know, what I'm yeah. doing is, is free. So what, you know, what's the value yeah. in it? And it makes them feel like they're worthless, you yeah. know, like. And, and there's, I, a, there's a lot to unpack what Tabitha just spoke about. But mm-hmm. I think if you approach it with the mindset of what is the shop's responsibility to the company that is choosing to hire them. So you, you've you got this entrepreneur who's launching his business and it's his first van. He just started and he's trying to get off on the right foot. Mm-hmm. And and what blows my mind is, is again, going back to that free mindset. So if you, first of all, if you're not getting paid for the design, the objective is how quickly can I arrive from design to print? So I'm gonna do that the fastest amount the fa- you know the fastest i possibly can right, right. because I, yeah. i'm not getting paid additional right so you have that as as one very very specific problem but if you look at it and approach it from the idea that you have a very very important responsibility to this particular client and we look at it as if we're designing as if lives are at stake that's really the mindset that we have with our clients and the projects that we take on. Like if we screw this up, there's a good shot that maybe he he doesn't grow. Maybe he can't hire more people. Maybe he can't get higher average tickets for his work. So again, the idea of whether you're printing commodities that you sell or whether you're looking to change the lives of the people who hire you. If you approach it from that perspective, first of all, you can, you can get more money for that work because you can show value to the client. But that's really the difference between, I, I want to say what we do versus really what most other companies do is they're not approaching it from that perspective. And they also don't accept the responsibility that they're tasked with. Wow. Again, so I look at that responsibility as sacred, okay? The, the amount of money that you're going to spend with us, first of all, is not an insignificant amount. Maybe it means you couldn't take a vacation this year. Maybe it means you couldn't buy something or do something. It's a, it's a big investment to hire us, of course, right? So again, along with that is the responsibility that we need to know our craft and we need to know how to properly execute 
the task for which we're hired from. And that's what frustrates me so much about the rap industry as a whole is that there's a lack of education going towards the design aspect and the fundamentals of design, and then also understanding the medium and how it, it works in terms of consumer psychology. So yeah. so it's, it's sad to me when I see a poorly branded truck, because that means that entrepreneur got sold something that is probably not going to work. He probably doesn't know any better, right? Because right. why should he? It's not his job to know. And it, and, it, and it frustrates me because, um, again, there, there's there's a lot of things at stake. Like I look at the impact that our work has on these companies, how they've grown, how many more people they hired, how many more trucks they got. Even look at it from that perspective. You want to look at it from a self-interest perspective. Like if you kill it for them and they grow and get 10 new trucks in the next five years, well, those are all 10 new trucks you're going to get. Right. Yep. So investing in yourself and learning the craft, like it's crazy. Like the book that I just wrote, it literally should be on the desk of every single sign company in this country. Like, like and I'm not saying that to sell more books because I make like $3 on a book. Like <laughs> it's not about that, but it's about the responsibility that these shops have to the people who hire them, right? It's, yeah. it's like, it, it blows my mind that like, it's the lowest common denominator. It's like, how can we do this for the cheapest amount possible? Let's get it in and out the door as quick as possible. It's like, no, like if you focus on the craft and, and the mission and you understand marketing, you can provide value well beyond the price of the cost per square footage, which is the way all these other shops are charging. Yeah, and again, right. too, how is your shop different? What makes you different? Why would I go to your shop when I can go to the shop down the road and he's right. 50 cents a square foot cheaper than you? Yeah. So we, we kind of take on the same mindset. You know, I tell our designers all the time and even our installers, you know, you're not just designing a job or you're just not wrapping a truck. Like you're literally change. You have the power to change someone's right. life right? and to change their family's lives and the families that are connected to that business. Because, right. you know, businesses have employees that have wives and spouses and kids. And if that business does well, from a brand that you created or a truck wrap that you did, you know, it affects a lot of people. And the customers that are that are acquiring their services or their goods yeah. and things like that. And it's, you know, that's that's kind of the mindset that we've taken on um, because I used to be that guy. I used to be the guy who would give away my time for free because to me, you know, I know how to design. I know how to operate the programs very easily. And, and so you can... Yeah, I mean, yeah, anybody can throw a design together in 30 minutes and it would look decent to whoever. But, you know, are you taking on the responsibility of the the heaviness that comes with your designing like lives are at stake, like you're talking about? I've heard you say that a lot. And, you know, it's whenever you start to get into that mindset, things start to become a little bit more real in, in what you do, it has to be taken very seriously. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's a, that's a really big disconnect in our industry, like what you were just talking about with the lack of focus on design is I don't, I don't think people really understand the power of great branding and a great truck wrap. I mean, it's literally, it can literally make or break your business you know, depending right. on what you choose, whether it's, you know, choosing to to use all of the colors that your competitor has or choosing uh, like we had we had a 
and I'll be transparent. We had a conversation with a customer recently who they wanted what they did to stand out more on the truck than what their name was. And I'm just like, you can't do that because anybody can put construction on the side of their truck as big as they want it. And then they're going to look just like you. I said, but not everybody is who you are. Right. So it's, you're not branding what you do. You're branding who you are. And then whenever you do that first and you do it the right way, what you do and all the other things that they need to find out about you, they will find out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the power of Google is amazing. Um, and just brand recognition in general and having people notice you in a small town like we we're in, mm -hmm. it doesn't take much for someone to see your vehicle or vehicles, you know, multiple times in any given week. And as long as that branding is done well, you're going to you're going to win and you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, kind of going into the next you know section here, like where where I really want to. Uh, spend a little bit of time is is that struggle between uh, the the small shop saying well well how I hear all this information but the first thing they're going to say just like I've said well it's easier said than done you know I'm sure you've heard that a lot Dan you know we'll just charge more well it's easier said than done but you know what what is the disconnect that that the smaller shops are having trouble you know connecting the dots from where you know, where they're at as far as like charging nothing for design or giving away cheap design and then where you're at. It's like, how do we bridge that gap? You know, mm -hmm. what, you know, what's, what is the thing that the shops are missing? Um, there's, there's a, a lot of things that <laughs> they, can, they can work on for sure. But, but keep in mind too, remember too, like, and, and when I, when I speak or when I talk or teach rap design, I always make it a point to say the first logo that that I ever sold, I sold for twenty five dollars. Yeah. Okay. And and then and then I sold for seventy five dollars. And then it was a hundred. And then it was two fifty. Then it was five hundred. Then it was a thousand. Now it's ten thousand. You know what I mean? So so yeah. it, it it didn't happen overnight that process. Okay. But what I did spend a lot of time on was I spent a lot of time first of all making sure that I had my act together in terms of branding. Okay, and I think that that is a huge issue right there. I mean, there's so many rap companies with, uh, I'm sorry, they're just awful brands themselves. Okay, whether their name is awful and doesn't work. Okay, that's a huge yeah. problem. And there's so much ego tied to that name that they think they can't ever change. Well, I changed the name of this agency. You know what my old name was, yep. right? I changed this company yep. in 2017. I lived with it for wow. 16 or 17 years and it, was a, it wasn't a good name. It was called Graphic D-Sign, so Graphic Designs, because we started out doing signs and graphic design. So it, it sort of made sense, but we evolved and it didn't represent who we are today. And so that same question I would say to every owner is, does your branding reflect who you are today? Does it instill the confidence to that, to that home service contractor that wants to hire you that you know what you're doing? Is every single touch point in your marketing, on your social channels, when you walk in the shop, on your shop truck, are all those things consistently deployed? Okay, Because if you can't demonstrate that you understand branding, the basics of branding, you're, you're going to have a hell of a time trying to sell it. I can, I can assure right. you of that. Yeah. Right. So, sure. so first of all, looking inward on how you project and present your own brand is a really crucial aspect. And again, like I said, just just 
a lot of ego tied to people's own brands and they're afraid to either ask for help or afraid to change it. And maybe they just don't know how to fix it, right? But ask, like, you know what I mean? You have to be able to present uh, an image that instills that confidence Otherwise, no one's going to really trust you. The second part of it is, is how do you market design? So, so why would I pay you $1,000 for a wrap design? Well, here's 15 case studies of other home service contractors that we've successfully branded, and this is what the results have been for their business. You know, it's a lot harder to say no to someone right. that can demonstrate that they've taken someone that's just like me, right? I'm a home service contractor. I got two vans. Well, here's what we did for Bob's Plumbing. And look at the results. Look how we did Bob's Plumbing's logo. And then we did his truck. We also did site signs for him to use. And then we did the uniforms and his business cards. Look how nice all the packages looks there. So, yeah. so the marketing of the prior successes is a really important aspect of how to sell more design. So, you know, you go on my site and there's a page on our site called success studies and success, success stories. And there's 40 examples of revenue increases of companies we've rebranded. Like if I said, listen, if you rebrand with us, your, your revenue will grow by 50% in six months. You'd be like, well, of course I'm going to rebrand then. That would be really dumb for me not to rebrand. Right. Yeah. So when you're, when you're presented with examples of dozens of other companies that are just like yours and what their success has been, it's a lot easier to make make that sale. But who's investing in that marketing? Who's investing investing in, in building those those case studies and presenting them to that that consumer or, or that home service contract, I should say. So that's the part too where you know guys are just continuing grinding. They're grinding, we're grinding. We've got no time to work on our own our own stuff. Great. Okay, well then you're gonna just continue doing that same grind and not actually elevating your price points and your hourly rates because you, you still haven't given that that um, that home service owner or that contractor a, a reason to to expect to pay more for your services. You know, yeah. so that's a big part of it is how you present yourself and investing in your own marketing. And again, like just a lot of companies just don't want to do it or they're not equipped to do it or maybe they just don't have enough case studies. But like I don't they don't just pop up on my desk like that page with 40 examples of revenue increases. I have to go and I have to go back to that client and, and say, hey, dude, it's like six months. What's the story? What are we doing? Like. And they're like, oh, yeah. dude, we're killing it. I'm like, okay, what's the numbers? Well, we're up, you know, whatever. We're up 500. Like I just had a client today, six months. He's up $500,000 wow. in six months. So I'm like, awesome. Like, so I, I bounced into Photoshop and I made the graphic. And and you know what I mean? So like, you've got you've to put the time into that. But it's a lot easier for me to, 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 to tell a client it's going to cost this much money when they see all these other success stories that, that we, we have. And it's not like, it's more like, you know, I we have more clients that go through the experience with us, and at the end say, "You guys charged us too too little. You should have charged us a lot more." <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I, I think is. it definitely speaks to what it is that you guys provide there. And yeah. I think one of the things that we've been talking about all throughout the podcast is that you have to, as a business owner, know your value. Um, when I say this, I used to work in. Um, for Fortune 500 companies selling new homes. And so we were always in competition with other um, builders, the mm -hmm. same line, on the same street, the same neighborhoods. And we, we always had to know what it was that set us apart. 
We had to know. And if you don't know what sets you apart, you don't know what value you bring when, because the, the arguments are going to come the uh, from the customer where the customer is going to say, oh, that's too much. Um, the customer, you know, sometimes it's a smoke screen where they just, they don't really know if they want to pull the trigger yet. So they kind of throw up a smoke screen, but you have to be able, in order for you to help your customer, help your client, whatever it is for you, um, you in order for you to help them, you've got to know your own value and you got to know what you bring to the table. And that's where you share that with them because ultimately it's about helping your customer. And at the end of the day, a sale will always transpire if you help them, whether it's that that they find that working with you is, is the best mode or working with someone else. But then um, you're gaining the client that you need that's going to, you know, like you talked about, you have less of that you do more for. Um, and maybe this person, you know, they don't really want to pay the money. So maybe, you know, you kind of want them to go to the other shop because they don't see the value in you. But you do have to know what your value is. And I think that's what's so um, important. And what you were saying, you, you've had so many profound. I, I just want to thank you so much for being here on the podcast um, today because yeah. you have had so many profound um, and it's not just coming from Brent or myself, but in this industry, um, moments that you have shared with us today, paradigm shifts of your thinking and um, of experience. And so I would say to the listeners out there right now, listen to this and listen to it over and over because this is wisdom speaking. Mm -hmm. um, this is not there's a lot of people who talk and one of the things that Brent's dad used to always say is he's like uh some people you know, like he talks about what did, what, did, what was the thing that he used to say he's um, like they he's like they talk about it but they're not they don't be about it uh, well what, he what also he said he, another one of his sayings was someone would say well I've been doing this for 20 yeah. years I have 20 years experience and my dad would say well you have 20 years experience but you just repeated the same the first year 20 times. Yeah. You, did, you didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So was, <laughs> it's, I, I think that it's just, it's been such a great episode. I've really enjoyed the conversation yeah. that we've had today because um, it's just, there's been so many profound things that you have shared that's going to really help the person who is either in the building phase, the sustaining phase, or the growing phase. Or the growing phase. And so, uh, real quick before we go, um, tell us where we can get your book and yes. all of that good stuff. Tell us about your book, how you arrived sure. at getting your book, any information you want to share with us today. Yeah, so this is the new book here. It's Branded Not Blanded, Kickcharger Home Service Brand. So this I wrote specifically for a home service owner to really understand the value of a brand and how a brand works, not just on a vehicle, but in all their marketing channels. So I kind of took like the last 10 years of what I've learned and the results and the experiences and sort of put them into this book. Because one of the things I felt like is that, first of all, there isn't a book like this that exists that is that is very niche and specific to home service businesses. Um, and then I would continue to see so many owners make these same mistakes um, with their branding. So I said, oh, if I could write a book and even if they don't hire us or can't use us, they read this book and they would better understand how branding is actually supposed to function and, and work. So from a designer perspective, so much psychology in this book about what they should be thinking about when designing um, a logo and then subsequently a truck wrap for their customers. So understanding things about color psychology, understanding stuff about uh, consumer behavior, um, learning the ins and outs of trademark and copyright and things like that is covered in the book. So there's, there's, there's a ton of good content in there. And um, I think 
I think even for a sign shop, if they have a client that's kind of on the fence about whether or not they need to rebrand, it's even a good book that they would recommend to that that potential customer and just say, hey, you know what? Like maybe we're not a good match for you. Maybe we are, but read this book and it'll help you better understand how this is supposed to function and why you need to get this right. Um, because like we, like I say in the book, like the most expensive logo you'll ever buy is one you paid the least for. Right. And you think about that and, and what that really signifies, because not only does that poor branding then affect, you know, culture, recruitment, average tickets, it, it also affects how much money you'll need to spend to market your business. So that's the other aspect is if that truck is done properly, you can actually reduce your ad spend on Google. You can reduce your ad spend on pay-per-click and, and LSA and all those other things. So framing, again, the value that your designs bring to the table um, is really an important aspect in order to sell it, right? In order to sell more design. So the book goes a lot into details like that. So you, you can get the book from our site directly. You can get it from kickcharge.com forward slash books, um, or you could get it from Amazon too. Um, it's a little cheaper awesome. on my site, but you can get it from Amazon. It's also on Kindle as well. And that's my that's my previous book. So I think, again, both books, I think if you're a designer, they would be very helpful. That book is called Building a Big Small Business Brand. Um, and that was written about 10 years ago, but still really valid information in that book as well. Tell us a little bit of feedback real quick. What did you, What was the biggest thing that you heard uh, from your first book that um, you thought was really profound That uh, from the feedback that you were given off of your book? Well, the first book, when I wrote it, I, I don't think as an agency, we was very, very specifically honed in on home service branding. So it's more general in the sense of if I am a small business and I want to launch a company, whether it's retail or home service or whatever kind of business, I wrote that book because, again, a lot of the branding books that you can buy are more sort of what I would say pie in the sky stuff. Like they're more like lessons on corporate branding. I'm looking for a lesson on a florist or, or a plumber, <laughs> right? That, that's what I yeah. want to try to have them understand. So um, I got really good feedback on, on that book. But as we became more focused on home service, um, like I'm in so many home service groups on Facebook, um, you know, they asked me to come on these pages and sort of be an expert and, and speak on different topics. But I, I would continue to see, you know, owners post, hey, here's my new truck wrap. What do you think of it? Or I'm about to get this new truck wrap. What do you think of it? And to me, it was just like, it's so sad. Like yeah. he's about to waste all his money right here. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a book? that he could read or she could read beforehand to help them understand it. And again, like not everyone can afford us, not everyone can use us. It's not even about that. It's just, if I can help another owner understand what he's doing, it'll just save him so much money now. And, 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 you know, like if you could start day one with, with a great brand, like in five years, you don't have to redo everything. You don't have to strip <laughs> all the lettering off the truck. Like, you know what I mean? So, so, you know, it was really important for me to put that information out there and, you know, you've read that first book. It's written, you know, very easy to understand. I'm not throwing a lot of big words out there. Um, I know who the audience is and I'm trying to make sure that they can distill it, you know, and, and understand it. So, yeah. you know, a lot of good success stories and case studies we talk about in this new book as well. And, uh, you know, the feedback has been great. Like literally I was just on a call with a client yesterday who hired us and he had read the book and he just he like literally said like the book changed my life. Wow. And that's like, awesome. you know, that's, that's pretty awesome feedback to hear. 
Um, but I've hearing that more and more that like, oh my God. And then I also hear, I wish I had read this sooner <laughs> or I wish I had been able to read this five years ago. So I hope it gets in more people's hands. That's awesome. Well, you know, we'll definitely do what we can to push it for you. And, you know, um, as we close out here, uh, I just want to say thanks again. And, you know, when I grow up, Dan, I want to be just like you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so thanks so much yes. for coming on today. And um, it's been uh, an eye opening and very, very um, great podcast episode. So thanks so much. Yes, and thanks, thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you guys again next time. Yes. Thanks, guys. This is the Million Dollar Rap Shop Podcast.